0: One, two, three, let's go! Over time, as you go out over time, your deviation will get greater and greater and greater. So you might be just a little bit off now, But you go down the road and you're going to be way out of line. And so I think about that with Paul and his course, and I think about that with us and our course, and just some of the things Stephen and I were talking about last night in regards to, to course and the choices we have regarding courses. And so let's go back and read Acts 20, 24 again and see what Paul has to say about this and what we can learn and how we can check and see, are we on course? Are we off course? Are we deviating? How do we know if we're deviating? If we are, what's that going to look like over time? So, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, So that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. So we already talked about the things that move him and where he started and how the things that moved him changed from the the things of this world to things of ministry, from things of prestige and self to things that are going to honor and glorify God. And then we see that uh, none of those things move him so that he may finish his course with joy. In the ministry, but the key thing is here that he received from the Lord Jesus, and so um, God didn't hold a gun to Paul's head on the road to Damascus and demand that he follow him, and demand that he go on God's course. Paul had a choice. Paul could have said, "No, God, you're freaking me out. I don't know who you are, but just leave me alone. I, I just leave me alone." He could have said that. And think about what that... If he would have said that 2,000 years ago, that one little decision, he could have gone right, he could have gone left. If he would have gone the other direction and said, no, God, leave me alone. I don't know who you are. I don't want to know. Just leave me alone. Well, we wouldn't have had the churches planted. We wouldn't have had the gospel spread throughout all of Asia, throughout Asia Minor. It never would have been carried uh, to Europe later on. We never would have had churches planted. We wouldn't have had most of our New Testament written. We wouldn't know these things. Odds are we wouldn't be here. That was a critical decision, a small, minute, little decision years ago, many, many years ago, that has amplified over time and has had huge consequences. But he didn't have to. He could have said no. And so, we have this choice if we can take God's course or we can take our own course. You can choose that. You can choose your course or, yeah, God's. So, uh, let's look at, uh, flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And this is coming down to the end of Paul's life when he wrote this letter to Timothy, who is basically like his son in the faith. He loved Timothy. It is really, really warm in here. Second Timothy four. Did I say first? I meant second. Once again, he's coming to the end of his life, and this is just a beautiful, beautiful letter. If you, you understand the context of how Paul wrote this and what his mindset was, I don't think we can fully understand, but if you read the words that he's writing to somebody that he loves dearly in the faith coming to the end of this, in, in uh, chapter 4, verse 6, he says, for, now, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Listen, I don't have much time left on this earth. If, you're, if your days are numbered, you'd know you don't have much time left on this earth. Are you not going to say the most important things to the people that you love? If you knew that, that you had three hours left, wouldn't you get on your phone and talk to the most important people in your life and say the most important things in your life? I would think that would stand the reason. And that's that's similar to where Paul is here. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. And that can be us. And so we have this... I have finished my course. It's my course. But in Acts we see that it's my course, which I have received of the Lord Jesus. It was tailor-made for Paul. It was specific to Paul. Now, you, you're in the same position. You have a choice. You're, you're at a decision point in your life of, of am I going to choose my course? And do what I want to do or am I going to follow God's course and see what course he has laid out for me and follow him uh, Philippians 3 8 says yea doubtless and I count all these things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and Stephen talked about that last night the importance of what Paul esteemed dear and what Paul esteemed valuable. And, and I think about this because this is where I was. This was my struggle when I was 19, 20, 21 years old, 22, uh, watching my friend get killed by a drunk driver, um, listening to the gospel being preached, and, and wrestling with these things of, man, what are my buddies going to say? What are my friends going to say? What... Um, Like I have these dreams, I have these things I want to do. I want to, I want to build this. I want to go there. I want to be known for having done this. If I follow Christ, like there's no guarantee. What if He calls me to Africa? I don't want to go to Africa. I want to do this. What if I have to surrender this to this? There's a lot of unknowns. I really, really struggled with it. I did. And if you're struggling with that, I understand it because it's everything. It's, it's your life. It's your hopes, your dreams, your aspirations, your all of it. And Paul was no different, but Paul's attitude was. But the loss, um, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. I count all all of these things, hopes, aspirations, dreams, plans, all of that. And you know what? 16 years after I made that decision to follow Christ, I understand a little bit more what he meant. That stuff's junk. It's garbage. It's vanity of vanities. All is vanity. It's, it'll, it's gone. I spent a year out of college. I spent a year. I took a job back in my hometown. I had two days off that whole year. Two days. It was an, I managed a dairy farm, and it needed a lot of work and a lot of help. And I sunk everything into turning that place around. Uh, I mean, wrote protocols and, and uh, vaccination schedules and, and breeding programs, everything. Flipped it on its head, and we were singing. I spent a year, two days off. I spent an immense amount of time there. Uh, after I, I left that job, moved to Ohio, it was, I think, a year and a half later, the whole place was sold. Everything was gone are you kidding me? And it was around that time that I I tripped over the book of Ecclesiastes and God told me, hey Ed, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. All that you did, it's gone. Nobody even knows. It's it's useless. So I had that choice. You have that choice. And Paul says, listen, all my stuff, vanity of vanities, it would have been gone. So, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. Because there is another course. Chapter 2, verse 1, and it says, And you hath he quickened, made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And we talked about that yesterday. And we've gone our own way. We've sinned against God. We've, we've, we've done all these things that we're going to stand in judgment of. Wherein in time past you used to, ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh, and the children of disobedience. So we've got this course that this is, I finished my course. I'm almost to the end. I finished my course. I did the work. And oh, by the way, this was my course that I received of the Lord Jesus. He, he, He specifically built it and gave it to me. This was mine. Or in time past, ye walked according to the course of this world. What's the course of this world? What is that? What does that look like? How about, how about this? How about career over family? I work with a guy who uh, makes a lot of money, I mean a lot of money, and uh, has a, built a really successful business for himself. And he told me, he said one day his son, was, uh, his son was about two. He was still sleeping in a crib, so maybe, maybe a little under two. He said he got home from work one night and his little boy was in bed, so he went in to uh, kiss his son goodnight. And when he went into the room, his son sat up and looked at him and ran to the other side of the crib because he didn't know who his dad was. The guy made a lot of money, a lot of money. His two-year-old didn't know who he was. It's not like he lived in another state, another country, another city. He lived in the same house career over family course of this world I see it all the time I've heard this all. well I want a legacy I want people to remember me I want to build this I want I want my name on the on the business I want my name on the letterhead I want to make money I want to get mine I want to be able to have a, a second home I want to be able to take nice vacations and nice things and hey listen there's there's something to be said for the the fruit of your labor and that's not wrong but what does the world tell you about it what about this what about um how many times have you heard this one? Uh, you know, if we're dating, and things are kinda getting serious, but it would be best if we live together for a while just to make sure we're a good fit, so that if we get married, it's gonna stick. You guys ever heard that? I've heard that. I had somebody say that to me one time. Like, that's, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Uh, you guys are in high school. I had a, I, I was, I've told my wife about this. I had, I had a really good friend in high school. Beautiful young lady. We were good friends. She had this boyfriend that she was with. and this, I, I still shake my head at this. It's been 20-some years, and I can't understand it. She, uh, she gave herself to this boy. She gave her innocence to this boy. Do you know why? Because he wasn't treating her very well. and he th- She said she thought if she did that, he would like her more. That's the world's logic. One of the greatest gifts that God gave human beings that he set aside for the sanctity of marriage? What a beautiful, wonderful gift. And instead of, of being a young man who protected and guarded the virtue of a young lady, he took advantage of it. And her logic was so twisted by the course of this world that she thought, if I give myself to someone, then they'll appreciate me. That's literally backwards. How often have you heard that? I've been in locker rooms. I know what goes on. I know what's said. I know how people think. I've been there. That's what the world tells you. Uh, you get older. You, you get into uh, your, your financial life. And, and how do you handle finances? How do you handle money? What do you do with that? How do you, what does the world tell you? Funneling through debt and making payments. You can afford it. You can afford the payment. Well, that's great. But what does God say about it? God has a lot to say about it, and for very, very important reasons. If God calls you, if you, you decide you, you are, you're going to surrender your life to Him, and he, he gives you your course, and your course takes you to a mission field, or to plant a church, or to be a pastor, uh, whatever, and you're up to here in debt, how are you going to be free to go serve Him? You can't, because you're serving your master at the bank. There's the course of this world, but that's what they'll tell you. It runs counter to what the Word of God says. Um, what about uh, who decides what's right and who decides what's wrong? Is gay marriage right? Is gay marriage wrong? Who decides? Or who do you ask? What about, uh, what about um, yeah, sleeping with somebody before you're married? What about alcohol? Is it okay to drink alcohol? Who decides? Who says? There are people that... Uh, I'm amazed at how that issue comes up in Bible-believing churches. I'm amazed. And really what it comes down to is this. Where are you going to to calibrate your standard? Where are you going for your standard? Are you, are you looking to the world and listening to the, the course of this world and the things they have to say to get your decisions made? Or are you listening to what the Word of God has to say? And so what's your current course? What I mean by that is what habits are you establishing in your life now that you're going to be thankful for later? Are you establishing habits in your life that are in accordance to the word of God that you're daily daily eating from, from this book. You're daily esteeming this more than your necessary food. You're daily drinking from the, the, the living water, the wellspring, the fountainhead. Are you, uh, are you using the Bible to allow God to steer your decision-making? Should I date this girl? Should I, should I date that guy? should I be friends with these people? What advice should I take? Should I listen to what Larry says in the locker room? Should I listen to what, have I gone and sought godly counsel from godly friends who are going to point me to the Bible and say, yeah, that's, I understand what you're dealing with, but this is, what the God, this is what the Bible has to say about it. This is what God has to say about it. And, you know, we talked about course correction. We talked about uh, correcting the gyroscope and my dad and helicopters and jets and an aircraft carrier and how you amplify that deviation and it goes out over time. The decisions you guys make, think about the, the paramount decisions you are going to make in the next 2,000 days of your lives. Think about it. 2,000 days, six years. Where are you going to be? Who are you going to be with? What are you going to be doing? What are you going to be caught in? Are you... Uh, my, my kids, we tell our kids this all the time. The well-advised is wisdom, but companion of fools shall be destroyed. What's a fool? Are you a companion of fools? Are you colleagues with people in wrongdoing? Or do you have people that edify you, uh, build you up, encourage you, uh, challenge you, withstand you to the face when you need it? These are all things that, listen, you can be on the world's course, the course of the children of disobedience. Or you can humbly submit to God and allow God to direct His course for you that's built for you specifically because you're unique in yourself. So what are the decisions you're making? What are the habits you're building? Where are you going? If you stay on the current course that you are now, where are you going to be in 10 years? Where are you going to be in 15, 20 years? Uh, Here's an example. Um... You want to date a lost guy. You want to date a lost guy or a guy that you're not sure is saved. His testimonies, nah, I don't know. He comes to church, but, you know, should I date him? Oh, but he's so cute. All right, fine. You date the guy. You date him, you fall in love with him because that's what happens. You date him, you fall in love with him, you get married, you have children. You're, you're, You're 10 years down the road from today. Very easily, very possible, you could be in that position. Married, in love, children... You married a man who is not saved. You want to start taking little Junior to church. He thinks church is stupid. What do you do? Do you submit to your husband and not take your son to church? What do you do? How do you, how do you solve disagreements in the marriage? How do, you, how do you do that? What does that look like? Paul said he finished his course with joy. With joy. Does that sound like a joyful marriage to you? I love my wife. I, being, this is the like greatest thing is being married to my wife. Uh, when we have issues, we solve them pretty quick, don't we? And you know how we solve our issues? With humility. Esteeming the other better than ourselves. Let nothing be done through strife and vainglory, but in loneliness of mind, let the each esteem the other better than himself. And to model that for my children. It's, the, it's, it's part of the course that God has me on in being a husband, and I need to apply God's word to my course. But if one of us were lost, I were lost, and it was all about me. How would we solve that? How would we solve problems? Um, you're, you're saved. You have these children. Your husband's not. Well, I think that we need to uh, spare not our soul for his crying and chasing him with the rod. That's ridiculous. That's mean. Why would you beat a child? Because the Bible says so. Well, that doesn't mean anything. Can you see how now you have, you have locked horns on this? You are not in a joyful situation. Plus, if you believe this book, the man that you are loving and devoted to and married is on a course straight to hell. I guarantee you that's going to bother you. I guarantee it. What are you doing now? What course are you on now? Are you choosing the course that God has laid out, that first step of submission, or are you choosing the course of this world, the children of disobedience? Think about these things. So, by the way, I don't think I gave you guys the definition of course, did I? Let's go back to that. I apologize. So, course, the definition of the word course is direction of motion or line of advancing. Direction of motion, line of advancing. And think about that because you are advancing through life on a timeline. You're going through life, and you will have time points throughout your life. As you go on this course, because this is the other thing in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. So that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus. So when you're on this course... But God is prescribed for you, it's specific to you, it's tailor-made for you because you are not like you and you are not like you and you are not like you. You're all built different from different homes, different backgrounds, different heights, weights, likes, differences, dislikes, acumens, intelligent levels, gifts and giftments. God made all of us differently specifically for purpose and he was brilliant in doing it. So, every course is going to be slightly different than the other ones. Some cases, majorly different than the other ones. But, God has a course for you. So, as you advance through life, God will give you ministry opportunities in conjunction with your course. So that I'm on this course with my wife, and one of my primary functions, one of my primary ministry opportunities, is to my wife. I'm to minister to my wife and to my children. I'm to shepherd my home. I'm to have my children in subjection. I'm to to raise them up, train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's one of my ministries right now. I can do that. You can't. Don't try. So what what are your ministries going to be? What are your ministries now? What course are you on? Um... Are you on the right path? Are you on the right course? Do you, do you, has God given you His course for your life? Have you even sought Him on that? Or are you on your own course? Are you, are you walking according to the course of this world? Ask yourself these questions. Examine yourself. See where it leads. Um, it's time for another story here. I came across this uh, a couple of months ago and and it just man it just lodged in my head when I saw it and so I wanted to share it in 1993 Sudan was in the middle of a famine and a civil war at the same time Um, I don't know if you guys know much about famines I like I said I've been in agriculture my whole life wisconsin ohio dealt with with cattle if you, so if you go to any farmer in wisconsin you go to any farmer in ohio and you just walk up to them and say 1988 2012 they're all going to say the same thing all of them will all say the same thing and that was a year of the drought everybody knows that there was no water there was no food so Sudan was going through a famine at this time. No water, no food. Civil war. The Islamic, uh, the Islamic regimes in the north were pressing down on the tribes of the south. They both wanted to control the government. So all kinds of devastation and fallout. Because this was taking place... Uh, the United Nations decided to to, to send in relief. They were sending in food and medicine and water. They wanted to help this, they they were humanitarian aid. So they set up these checkpoints all throughout the country where they were flying in these aid stations is what they called them. In conjunction with the aid stations, They uh, got the idea that let's send in photographers to capture uh, images in film. We can disperse those images worldwide. We can get the attention of NGOs, non-government organizations, uh, people like Samaritan's Purse. um, that that could send finances, they could send people to help. Um, Also other governments, they could bolster their support more, Um, so they did that. Um, There was a, a photographer by the name of Kevin Carter, who is a South African. And he had taken a lot of pictures of the apartheid. Well, they flew him to Nairobi. They gave him his visa. He waited in Kenya for about a week or two. And then he was airlifted with one of his partners into Sudan. They got off this plane in Sudan, and they were were in the the bush. And they were taking photos of uh, these girls walking to an aid station. He uh, was photographing this scene. And he turned around and looked through his viewfinder. And he saw this. Now, I read this. <clears throat> I read the backstory on this from a couple different places, and uh, it's quite an amazing story. This photograph is called "The Vulture and the Little Girl." It's also known as "The Struggling Girl." It was taken in March of 1993, and on March 26, 1993, it was published in the New York Times. Uh, in early 1994 it was awarded the Pulitzer Prize for photography. Now Mr. Carter took this photo he actually waited about twenty minutes to take the picture he sat there and he stared and he looked and he was hoping that the vulture would come closer and he was hoping that it would spread its wings out because it would make a more dramatic picture. The bird didn't do that so he took the picture got up, chased the bird away went found his partner, told him what he saw. He went, sat under a tree, lit a cigarette, and started to cry. Now, when this photograph was was, uh, published in the New York Times, it created all kinds of outcry. All kinds of outcry. It definitely got the attention of the world. And so people started inundating the New York Times with letters, uh, questions, calling the editor. What happened to the kid? And this was actually a boy, not a girl. Um, what happened to the child? Did anybody help him? Did he make it? Uh, did, did he get to the aid station? Where are his parents? Uh, where's his family? Uh, what did the photographer do? And, you and I, you're probably sitting there thinking the same things I was thinking. Um, and all these people are saying, wow, what in the wide world of sports? What? Two questions jumped into my head. Two questions as I've studied this picture and looked at it. Here's the two questions. Number one, you have all these people that are, that are outraged about what's going on here, and they're seeing this picture. And they're writing in, in, the United States, Great Britain. Why didn't you help that kid? Why didn't you do more? And then it, it hit me. Where were they? Their course didn't take them here. They were nowhere to be seen. They were in no position to minister to anybody. But they sat back and complained about somebody else that was in a position to minister, because they didn't feel feel like they did enough. Are you in position to minister? Or are you 10,000 miles away doing something else? Where are you? You know, I said about 1998 and 2012, and I I, I dealt with that firsthand. I know what it looks like um, to be on a drought. This one lasted way longer with far more devastation, but I, I know a little bit of the pain. And I'm immediately reminded of Amos where he says there's a famine of the hearing of the word of God in the land. And I'm telling you right now, we are in the famine, and we're on the leading edge of the famine. We're not in the heart of it. It's going to get much worse. And here's the, here's the real kicker. I, I swear to you that if, if God took the scales off of our eyes, off my, my stupid eyes, and let me see things spiritually, I bet you I would see a lot more of this from a spiritual perspective. And every day, every day, I have, I have an abundance of the bread of life and I have an inexhaustible access to living water in the midst of a drought? Where am I? Where are you? What course are you on? Is your course taking you into contact with things like this? Here's the second question. Write this one down. This one here, this one, I've literally lied awake at night the last two months thinking about this question. My desire is that you lose, lose sleep over it too. Maybe it's just me. Kevin Carter got up, chased that thing away, went and found his friend, sat under a tree, smoked a cigarette, and cried. Broke his just everything that he saw. You know, God gives us this course. It's His course that He has prescribed for us as we're on this course. Course correcting, obeying Him, walking with Him, uh, diligently following Him. He gives us ministry opportunities. And as He gives us ministry opportunities... I sit here and I think about this. Am I chasing the vultures? Are we chasing vultures? Are we doing the literally the bare minimum? If there was less he could do, he would have. At least he chased the bird away. Millions of other people didn't even do that. Are you and I are we chasing vultures? Yeah, I read my Bible. I read it. Yeah, I read it. Uh, this morning at camp, I read it. I read it the other day. Read my Bible. I don't, I don't remember what I read, but I did read it. Yeah, I pray. Of course I pray. I pray every day. Uh, I pray at, my, at meals. I don't pray at school. I mean, the guys would see, and that would just be weird. They'd make fun of me. I, but I pray. Uh, yeah, I pray for my food. Yeah, I pray for food. Yeah, I have a prayer life. Yeah, I I, I am in discipleship. I am in discipleship. I filled out every blank that was given to me in our last session. We've almost finished the lesson. I'm in discipleship. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I'm a member of First Baptist Church of Jackson. Every Wednesday night, I'm there in my seat. Every Sunday morning, I'm there in my seat. My parents make me go. I'm a member. They're members. So I'm a member. I'm a member of the church. But Serve? Kids don't serve in church. That's stupid. First Timothy four twelve. That was for Timothy. Are we chasing vultures? Are we doing the bare minimum? You know, I think about that yesterday, and I think about what, what happened with Paul on the road to Damascus, and how Christ intersected his life. And And Paul was literally Christ's enemy, persecuting Christ himself through the church. And it, it, it was a great pain to Christ, and he still desired to have Him. And I think about who Christ is, and I read about His majesty and His glory in Revelation 4, and Him sitting on the throne, and how these angelic beings are crying day and night, Holy, Holy, Holy! And Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Thou hast created all things, and for thy glory, they for thy pleasure they are and were created. That's you and me. God created us for his pleasure. He gave heaven's best for us. Are we chasing the vultures? Are we chasing the vultures? If there was less you could do, would you do less? So there's uh one more critical point to this story that I left out. I'll read it and I'll tell you what it is in just a second. Revelation 21 says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and he shall, and they shall be His people. And God Himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all their tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. This photograph was taken in March 1993. March 26, 1993, it was was published in the New York Times. Beginning of of, uh, 1994, it was awarded the Pulitzer Prize for photography, the most prestigious uh, award that you could be given for photography. Four months later, Kevin Carter sat down and wrote a letter, worked the whole thing out, sealed it in an envelope, went and sat in a car, Let the fumes of the exhaust of that car fill up the area that he was in. Kevin Carter took his own life. I read that verse right there, and God will wipe away all of our tears. How many of the tears are going to be tears of regret? Because this will all be passed away, and with it, the opportunity to minister for him, to minister to him. Because we chose to walk according to the course of the world. We chose our way. We chose what we wanted because it was easier, because it was funner, because there was less resistance, because I wouldn't get made fun of, because I wanted what I wanted. When Christ gave everything so that we could be on His course and know Him and walk with Him and have the course that is filled with joy, it's hard, it's not easy. It's difficult. But you know what? Turn to Hebrews 11. You have my wife, to, or I'm sorry, Hebrews 12. You have my wife to thank for this. She's the one that brought this to my attention. And we've, we've exercised this verse in our own life in regards to just different things. But my wife's a great blessing to me. Look at verse 11. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous nevertheless afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby, which are exercised thereby, listen some of you guys are athletes, some of you guys are, are musicians, some of you guys are, are, are in things that require a lot of work and study and skill the practice is not fun, it is not easy, lifting weights is not fun running is not fun, practicing is not fun no chastening and that's what chastening is, it's correcting no, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. It's not fun in the moment, but grievous. It's hard. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Listen, God's course for your life, specifically prescribed for you because He created you, is not necessarily an easy one. What I've also found when I'm pushing 40 years old is the best things in life are usually the hardest things to attain and pursue. But you don't stop pursuing them because they're difficult. It's not joyous but grievous in the moment. But afterward it yieldeth peaceable fruit of righteousness. And so I've got a marriage that I love being married to my wife. And I don't complain about my wife like I hear guys in the lost world complain about the old ball and chain. You won't hear that come out of my mouth. I despise when I hear Christians complain about their children. I hate it. Because children are a heritage of the Lord. They're a gift to me. I love my children. And God has prescribed everything in this book to, to, for me and my wife on our course to fulfill our ministry that He has given us. My children are given to me by God. That's my ministry right now. It's a joy. It's hard. It's really hard. You parents, you understand. It's hard, isn't it? It's a lot of work. It's a lot. It's every day. We talk about it. We have to encourage ourselves. Don't give up. Keep going after it. Another wave. We just have to keep moving. It's grievous at times. But it's going to yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. I firmly believe that. So what are you doing? Where are you? Are you willing To forsake your path, the course of this world. Are you willing to forsake those things? It will not bring you joy in time. I guarantee it. Write it down. This day, it will not bring you joy. It will bring you death, hell, and destruction. It will destroy everything in your life. Even if you seem like you have it all, you don't have anything. It's a whited sepulcher. It's vanity of vanities. Or you can go along God's course that he's prescribed and built specifically for you, and he knit you together in your mother's womb and knew everything about you. He has, and it's a joyful course. It's a joyous course. It's hard, but it's worth it. Are you chasing the vultures? Are you chasing the vultures? And we're going to talk about that more this afternoon when it comes specifically to ministry and how God built and designed and created you specifically for your ministry that you will receive from Him on your course He built for you. Are you chasing the vultures? Ask yourself that over and over and over and over. So where are you at? Let's Ask yourself those introspective questions. And I left my other study sheet back there. So you have those questions that you can ask yourself. What is your course? What is your bearing? Where are you headed? If you extrapolate this out, where do you end? Who are you looking to for advice? Who are you surrounding yourself with? What course are you on? How valuable is this course to you? Are you willing to forsake it all and go on the course that heaven paid the dearest price for you to have? Let's think about these things. Let's challenge ourselves with these things. Let's struggle and wrestle with God about these things. Let's apply Psalm 139, 23, and 24 to these things. Let's get brutally honest with God about it. Brutally honest. Let's pray about this stuff and let's seek uh, counsel from one another. Father, I love you. God, I love you for the pictures that you paint all around us. I love you for the word that you've given us. I love you for the fact that you gave your best for me. God, I was nobody from nowhere with nothing. I I had nothing. And God, you gave your best and pursued me because you wanted me. And I am no different than anyone else in this room. God, you have more for us than this world could ever offer, even if we can't see it at the moment. Are we going to, by faith, follow You and trust in You and walk with You, God, and seek You for the course that You have for us and the ministry that You have for each and every one of us? And I pray, Father, that you would, you would give these young people wisdom. God, help them to be introspective. Help them to ask the questions. Put the questions in their minds. Get them to see. Is their eternity worth the temporal now? And is the temporal now even what they think it is? Help them to look and dig in deep. God, help us to pursue you and follow you and walk with you and love you. God, you are worthy of glory and honor and power for you have created all things and for your pleasure they are and were created and that includes us. Lord, I I so want to bring you glory with my life and I so want to see you glorified in this ministry to the man. God, I love you and I just pray that you would be with us and guide us and instruct us. I ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's go!